Well, you know, it's it, it's funny. So much of what I wanted to discuss, and 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 we will, had to do in, to some degree so much with brainwashed. So I'm glad that you sent me that link. Um, yeah. Because you know, again, in the future, we'd love to have you on the other film podcast that I host. And I was telling my my podcast partner Scott I was going to speak to you. And then he was like, don't ask her this, don't ask her that, I want to ask her, you know, and it was a bunch of stuff I was going to talk to you about, but I was like, you know, fair enough, because now, so much of what was in Brainwash kind of ties into, like, more than half of what I wanted to talk about anyway, so it actually works out perfect, and I can save the other stuff that I wanted to save for Scott, so he doesn't feel left out, and he can, uh, because he's also uh, my my podcast partner, he's a big fan of you, this is... uh, but for me, this has been like a 20-plus year journey. I, I saw Queen of Diamond in college. Uh, oh, you, you know, did? Years ago. I, I, I oh did. Oh, Where? And, oh, man. Well, I went to college in Virginia. I went to Hampton University in, in Virginia, and I got a copy of... Yeah, it was... It would be some video store. That's, I'm oh, still my trying God. To like some, some VHS or something. No, lit- oh, that's what it was. It was while I was in college, but I was right. home from break. It it wasn't at Hampton, uh, and it was when I was home from break because I, I I grew up in a town called Amherst in Massachusetts. Okay. There's uh there's a great video store called um, Video to Go, and they had a lot of stuff. So that's where I saw it, and then you know for years, uh, some of your movies weren't the easiest to see, especially yeah. where I live. You know, I, it was like near Virginia Beach when I was in college during the early through mid aughts. And there weren't many, like, art house theaters close by, so... But it was one of those things, reading about you. Uh, Gus Van Zant spoke highly of, of you um, over the years, and it's kind of yeah. cool that you feature him in your film. But, um, you know, so I'll just start. So, ultimately, you're a filmmaker who is not... You have your own original voice, but you're also not ashamed to hide, you know, your, your influences. And a lot of your influences are people I love, like Shanta Ackerman... Yeah. Andre Tarkovsky, yeah. Bergman, and I yeah. love when filmmakers are open about their cinematic influences, but at the same time, when I think of your films, they're still not, it's still not a film that I don't think Tarkovsky would make Phantom mm. Love, I don't no. think that Bergman would make Queen of Diamond, and, and that's what I love about influences, when it's not like, I'm trying to copy someone and make the same type of movie, it's like, I have my own voice, but I borrow from people, I, I think that's, that's the most difficult thing to do, there's people mm. who are just totally void of influence and then there's filmmakers who and I'm not trying to insult anyone because I'm fans of certain filmmakers like this but there are some filmmakers who all they do is kind of copy borrow and take and and kind of make movie collages yeah if if, if anything so I I guess my first question is you are you uh Tarkovsky sculpting in time is that like a big influence in your film upbringing because over the years I've tracked down a bunch of interviews of you and you and you've mentioned it about three times in separate interviews that I could find yeah Is that just kind of well I I feel like um you know when I was growing up I mean there was no access really to films unless they you know it's not like now um and, you know, like you said, I mean, you couldn't find things and there wasn't a video store down the block, let alone an internet where almost everything is streaming. So I didn't have, you know, that much exposure um, to films when I started making my own films. Um, and and then when I found Tarkovsky's book, which I, I, I can't recall when that was exactly but um 
I was just like, I felt, I felt the same feeling that I felt when I found, uh, you know, Rainer Maria Rilke, Letters to a Young Poet. I mean, I just like when, when I found that Rilke book, I just went through and I like underlined things, you know, like, yes, yes, yes. And, and I had that feeling with Sculpting in Time too, that he was talking about film as as an art form and, and as a vocation, really, you know, as a spiritual vocation. And that's why I love Tarkovsky. And I, I mean, the bell scene in, um, Andre Rublev, which, you know, like I, I, I mean, it's that, that, you know, terrible, terrible, terrible struggle. And yet, incredible like you're compelled to do it you know because some and and he talks about that and he also taught you know because here I am in the belly of the beast in LA (laughs) and um you know sometimes people have said like you know oh you you know you're so strong because you made these choices or something you know and I was like I don't I don't really see it that way because it wasn't like I actually made a choice it was like I had to do it and I didn't have a choice I had to do these films I didn't have any choice so it's not like I'm so great for choosing A and not B it was just like I had to do it so I did it and um, I found that he reflected, Tarkovsky reflected in his book, um, so many of the things that, that I had felt myself, you know, in my own life and in my own filmmaking. And, and so then I started like telling my students to read it and stuff. And so like Cecily Rett, who was the editor on Brainwashed, um, she told me that because she was actually in my class as a, she was my TA um, at USC. And um, so I've known her for a long time. But, you know, she said she, you know, she got the book or maybe I even gave her the book as a present. I can't remember. But anyway, she says that she always uses it as sort of her Bible um, for 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 editing even when she's working on commercial projects because it's like you know what he says about like finding the bloodstream that was there you know or maybe you know in certain cases you're trying to recreate the bloodstream in a in a more commercial type of film but you know if you shoot you know from from a place of um integrity let's say or something like that i don't know the right word then um then you then the then the bloodstream as tarkovsky says you know it's there you know and you just have to find it so so much of what he said i just related to i was like oh thank you you know water in the desert sort of thing sure wow that you know and it's well it's funny because i feel like part of what you just said almost ties into brainwashed where it feels like a lot of that movie it's not like i don't know this isn't just to flatter you because you're here i think all your movies are great but there's something about brainwash to some degree it feels like this is what you've been working towards not to lesser any of the other movies but it's so much it's a combination of your road as a filmmaker your road as a film teacher film Mm -hmm. historian if i may you Mm -hmm. know use that word it's 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 so much brainwash is so much of like a, a movie collage but also 
you throw in these little personal tidbits about yourself, about yeah. your sister, which yeah. is another thing that kind of ties into Tarkovsky, especially the mirror. I mean, the woman, yeah. if you see, there's this famous picture of Tarkovsky's real mother, you know, sitting on a wooden gate, just like that second opening scene in the mirror. Yeah. Uh, she has her hair up in a bun, and it's kind of like, you know, that's another reason. Outside of just the obvious visual, the small handful of visual shots and homages you've given to Tarkovsky, that, you know, there's that. It's like, your sister is in a handful of your films, and it's also like she looks like you, obviously, because she's yeah. your sister. So there's that kind of like <laughs> spiritual element. Yeah. You know, because I've seen, just look over the years looking at pictures, of, I've seen pictures of, of you when you're younger and seeing pictures of your sister. And before looking up who it was, I thought it was you at first. Like right. th th This was years ago. I thought, I was like, oh, was she acting in her own film? Like, oh, no, that's her <laughs> right, sister. Right, right. Obviously, siblings look alike. So, but, um, yeah, you know, like I said, I don't know if I, yeah, I think I emailed you before. I said, I've now watched Brainwashed twice in, in, in 48 hours. Oh, you watched it twice? No, you didn't in tell me. In 48 hours. Yeah. Oh, you did? Okay. Oh, oh, maybe I, I missed telling, it. No, I think, I was telling someone just not, not too long ago. Um, so that's how much I, I mean, you know my, you already mentioned how my, my Twitter presence and, and my film site, which I've been doing longer than Twitter, so much of it is analyzing shots, analyzing film, and I, in a weird kind of roundabout way, I related to it, because, you know, gender and race are different, however, yeah. many times, there is a huge Venn diagram crossover between the two, Yeah. and my dad, the way he got me to look at film critically through race, like, there's a lot of times there's, like, a black character who's, like, always the helper, right. and gets no, 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 nothing in, in return, you know, in that, that, <laughs> that, that, that trope Cynically, you know, some people call that trope. It's the magical Negro, um, which it's it's. I think that's it's such an apt name, and I feel like watching Brainwash. It's just like decades of notes that I feel like you've taken and just finally wanted yeah. to get out. I mean, it you took. It's kind of like the history of cinema from the eight, late eighteen hundreds yeah. to now, and you managed to put it in you know less than two hours. Yeah. You know, on paper it sounds like oh that oh that's a bit rushed. How are you, how do you do that? But it's kind of like well she she pulled it off. Um, how long, like, this, from start to finish, was this yeah. something that you'd been jotting notes down? Like, I want to make this film years no, ago? No, actually, no. I, um, the, uh, the way this film came about was, you know, um, I had all my films, you know, you're talking about Tarkovsky and film as vocation and, you know, the way that, that I've made all my films uh, up until Brainwashed is that there was some sort of inner compulsion you know, on the inside, you know, that it was sort of like, basically almost like a slave driver. <laughs> you know? Like I, I, you know, I was, I was the servant of this, this thing, um, this need, this, this imperative that was like an inner imperative or vocation. Um, and, and brainwashed, um, you know, in a, in a funny way was, was different than that because it came to me from the outside. It didn't really come from the inside. Um, what happened is, you know, I was, uh, I had made, I think, uh, you know, I had made, it was after Queen of Diamonds. So it was like in the 90s something. I think it was before I made The Bloody Child. So it was probably like 93, 94, something like that. Um, I was teaching at the USC Film School and um, this uh, this teacher who was in the critical studies side, you know, at USC, well, I think 
actually at most film schools, but certainly um, at the USC film schools, like the critical study side and the production side were like rarely, you know, talk to each other at all. They're just completely like different universes. And most film students, um, most film students, you know, do not care about that they're just learning you know script structure and how do you get a deal in hollywood and stuff right so anyway i've heard that before before. yeah plenty of friends who went to film school so i've heard that before um anyway to to get long story to get to the point but the uh so this woman who was teaching in the uh in the usc film school marcia kinder she she was teaching she had seen uh, magdalena viraga and queen of diamonds and she invited me to um co-teach a class she was like let's do like half theory half production you know and I was like okay so I uh, it was like a gender theory and production class something like that I don't remember the title but um so there I was in the class but I felt like a student because I had never read any of these feminist texts you know and so then I was introduced to Laura Mulvey and um Judith Butler and, you know, Audre Lorde and all these people that, that, you know, frankly, I just, I, I didn't know about them. And, um, you know, I sort of had this epiphany that, you know, my own films, you know, had been kind of doing it from an intuitive level, you know, confronting those kind of the sexism that I saw around me, I wouldn't have ever been able to articulate it very well before I did those readings, you know, and then I was like, oh yeah, you know, there's a language for this instead of just saying, oh, sexist film, you know, I don't like it, you know, which is sort of the, what I would have said before. So then I was, then I was like, okay, well, I have to show, I have to show my production students some of this stuff because they haven't read any of these articles and you know and they they just have me sort of saying like oh you know no watch this film uh, yeah you know like not being very articulate so um i started putting together some film clips for my students you know and it was it was never more than like 10 film clips or something per per presentation um and so i would do that sort of off and on over the years you know sort of update or and um, and I didn't ever think about it as something that could be wider than just for my class, you know. Um, and then when um, in 2017, when the um, Harvey Weinstein thing hit, the Me Too movement launched. Um, I wrote this. Uh, um, I wrote this article for Filmmaker Magazine where I tied in the visual language, which I called the visual language of oppression, with the uh, the twin epidemics of sexual assault, sexual abuse, and employment discrimination against women, which, of course, I had experienced in spades. You know, I mean, like, severe, severe, severe... And I was obviously not the only one. It was like, you know, it was and still is, although it's a little better. But, you know, it was completely rampant, severe discrimination. And um, and this article went viral. It was like, it became their most 
popular article of the year. And then I got invited here and there to talk about it and give my talk. So I gave it at um, Sundance Black House was the first place I gave the talk in the United States. And then, um, you know, here and there. And everywhere I gave the talk, um, people would approach me and go like, oh, my God, please make this into a film like, you you know. And so it was it was sort of like I it seemed like there was this need, you know, for um, for this to be made into a film. So in that sense, um, it's not like the idea of making it into a film was something that was in my mind. Actually, never. You know, I never thought of myself. I mean, I, I think of myself as a, a kind of a fictional film, you know, yeah. like, you yes. know, it's sort True. of like, oh, well, you know, but then when we started putting it together and when I saw it all put together, you know, I felt like, wow, this is 25 years of, of teaching and filmmaking. It's sort of like my whole life, you know, it's, it's yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. Like that, yeah. That's what I was getting at early, right. earlier. And also, too, I mean, it's kind of 50 percent. The format of it, you know, it's like a standard documentary, but at the same time, it's like, oh, yeah, I, the, the woman who made, you know, Phantom Love, Dissolution, made this film because there are artistic <laughs> moments. You. you know, well, yeah, because, you know, some even, you know, look, there's plenty of great documentaries that are incredibly standard, just you, the interviewee, the interview subject, and a clip of something back to, to the interview subject. But then it's just little stuff where you incorporate yourself watching yeah. a film or th th things like that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, this is a documentary, but there is an artistic side to it. Yeah. And I think that's kind of another subconscious thing that I got from this documentary is that all the interview subjects, they're so great. And, you know, but sometimes there are certain people, and I don't even want to name names because that's not what this is about, where some film theorists, even right down to critics or journalists, I wonder, like, do you even like movies? You know what I mean? Like, like the way that they talk about that, you know, but I could tell, you know, and, and I find myself that way too. The older I get, movies that I used to like in my 20s, now I'm 41, it's like, oh, I don't feel the same way about this movie. But yeah. there's still some good qualities about it, but I don't like this now because I've had these life experiences where I no longer like this kind of stuff or, or I look at things dif differently. So I appreciate that too. Everyone who's in interviewed... I mean, right down to certain specific filmmakers, clearly love cinema. I mean, yeah. I know for a fact. I mean, Eliza Hittman is someone, by the way, who I've interviewed before. Yeah. Um, and I've covered all of her films on my site. Actually, what blew my mind was seeing her pop up in the documentary, and then later down the road, you show a clip of, you know, the scene where Jack LaMotta, Jake LaMotta first meets the woman who's to be his wife in Raging Bull. Yeah. Eliza Hittman... Uh, used that scene as a reference for a scene in Beach Rats. There's a scene in Beach Rats where it's just, it plays out just like that scene in Raging Bull, where they're at like a public pool, he's looking over at this girl that he wants to date, it's this close-up of, of her thigh, and she's by the pool, and she said that that shot, that moment from Raging Bull, was something that she incorporated into Beach Rats. So it was kind of a wow. cool, I guess, meta m m m m moment. And we've talked about the male gaze also, because when that second film beach rats came out she was it was by some myself included to some degree it was compared to claire denis similar to how you know she made beau travail it's this woman it's these like shirtless shiny muscular men that the camera is on 24 7 similar to how in beach rats you have this female filmmaker she's just photographing these young attractive in shape men 
And the cinematographer from Beach Rats had actually worked with Claire Denis before. So there, there's all this like weird crossover. And, yeah. you know, it's interesting, too, how her husband is an editor. You know, yeah. Scott, her, her, you know, so there's that interesting that dynamic, too. So I, I, long story short, I love seeing her pop up in um, that documentary. And of, yeah. along with Julie, Julie Dash, who we've been playing email and phone tag uh, for months now because she's so oh. busy. But we're I, I'm meaning to to we were planning it in, in, in an interview at some point when she can find, you know, five minutes to, to not be so busy. Um She's another person who I, I I have a piece about her, you know, on my site where I was talking about how before the Internet got super crazy into the late 90s, early 2000s, there was this kind of misprint for years that Daughters of the Dust was the only feature film that she made, which I don't know. Technically, that's kind of true, but it's also not. It's kind of she's one of those filmmakers. She's been making movies for decades, like for almost 50 years. And while Daughters of the Dust is groundbreaking, she has so much other work, yeah. and every once in a while you'll come across an interview where it's just like, in so many words, she's like, you know, I've made other movies. Yeah. Not that she's not <laughs> proud of Daughters of the Dust, but it's like, it's one of those things, like, if you make a movie and it doesn't play in the theater, it almost doesn't count. Yeah. It's like she's made films that did festivals and just HBO bought it or Showtime bought it and right. just ended up playing on television. So I thought it, it was such a nice mixture of filmmakers and critics, journalists, I mean, you got lawyers as well. It, yeah. it, it's such a, it, it, it's just a great team of people that, you know, you got together. How did you come Thank about you. assembling everyone? Also, side note, I I, I never put it together, uh, although timeline-wise, I didn't realize Queen of Diamonds and Dars of the Dust played Sundance at the same time. I thought that was yep. so cool. I, I feel yeah. like that's something I was supposed to know, but I didn't know until well, I watched I re- this, You so. know, I remember standing in line with Julie in the snow. <laughs> wow, yeah. wow, wow. Yeah, we were we were up there together, and um, <clears throat> you know what she said in the film is true. It was like, oh, you know, wow, you know, see you later, you know, because I mean, women just were nothing, you know, until basically 2015, right? Um, when Maria Geis um, initiated her groundbreaking action um, with the ACLU. Um, but the way that I put the um, people together, I actually, you know, starting out, um, I didn't have the concept like we'll only interview these great, powerful women who are like basically in my corner, <laughs> you know, that was not the concept. I reached out to almost all the living directors in the film that had clips in the film. So that's, you know, um, David Lynch, so, uh, um, he's alive. Yeah. Um, um, Martin Scorsese, uh, Scorsese, Denis Villeneuve, Quentin Tarantino, Sofia Coppola, Patty Jenkins, blah, 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 long, long list. Um, I mean, we reached out to their agents and we just, you know, we just kind of got the brush off like, Oh, sorry. You know, their schedule's very busy right now, basically. Um, so what happened was that, um, without really intending, um, the people who wanted to participate that we reached out to were these really powerful women who, like I said, were, you know, kind of either they're my friends, you know, most of them or like personal relationships, um, that, that I have with these, with these filmmakers and these people and so you know there was a there was a certain point where me and the editor Cecily we sort of looked at the film and went 
wow, it's like all women and like one non-binary guy, you know? Um, and, and, and we're like, okay, I like it. It wasn't planned to be that way, but I like it. And um, so that was how it came out that it was, you know, all these powerful women filmmakers and, and, and like you said, you know, Laura Mulvey and um, Dr. Kathleen Tarr and these other people that, that are not filmmakers that were, um, well, I guess Laura Mulvey's also a filmmaker, but not mainly. So um, the, uh, yeah, so it wasn't planned that way from the start. It came out that way. And and, wow. and, it, okay. and it really, I think, makes a film more powerful, you know, um, having it that way. But it wasn't by design. It was sort of by, like, oh, you know, it was one of those things where where you kind of wake up and go, like, wow, that that is powerful. But it was, it was, um, yeah, I already said it. See, like, I, I, I had my own... Okay, because I had my own assumptions, because the first time I watched it, I was so into the content of the film, I didn't even notice it, and then, you know, I, essentially I watched it again right away, and that's when it was just like, oh, this is almost all women. Yeah. I wonder if that was an intentional, but the fact that they didn't catch it at first made me go, oh, well, it was organic. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like the, the first title card was like, only women are going to speak in this movie. Mm -hmm, it, was, it just kind of mm -hmm. happened that way. Mm -hmm. But then I started, after the second viewing, it's like, well... This movie is critical, not not in a mean way, but just it is what it is. This movie is critical of certain things, which is part of what art is. Like, you break things down, you talk about it, and I wonder, I was like, yeah, like, I wonder, would Tarantino, would David Lynch not want to be a part of it because maybe they feel these movies? I mean, it's yeah. not like they, it's not like they're strangers to being criticized, uh, David Lynch especially, who is a personal favorite of mine but yeah. it, again this goes back to what i was saying earlier it's like the older you get it's kind of like there's this conflict where it's like oh i like this filmmaker but oh i don't know how i feel about <laughs> stuff now and right. i've been i've been i've been that way with 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 female filmmakers too it's not just men even yeah. though men you know unfortunately they are the predominant and they dominate the field but you know over the last few years you know well claire denis is is one of my favorites but sometimes it, it was a friend of mine um uh, for another film site that I write about, he brought to my attention, he was like, you know, sometimes her female leads are kind of aloof. Like, it, it, there doesn't seem to be much substance to how she represents. And mm. it's like, I wonder if mm. that's intentional. Because mm. Claire Denis is, I've read it all that I can, and sometimes when the subject of gender comes up with her, she's kind of like, I don't want to talk about, in so many words, I'm kind of paraphrasing, it's just like, I'm a filmmaker, I happen to be a woman, I don't, I don't want to talk about this gender stuff kind of yeah. but it, it 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 it's true and i like that i like complicated messy stuff the older i get because it makes me you know it's like oh i love but now i also kind of dislike elements of this film i i, I don't know what the what, what the what the word is i guess com, com, i guess complicated as simple you know as it is in this movie brought up brainwash that is brought up a lot of it i mean right down to I don't know if, if how much this ever came up, but there's kind of like what I, what I dubbed myself generational gaze because you've got, there's a couple of scenes where you show uh, Margaret Qualey, who is the daughter of Andy McDowell, who herself has been in movies where she was the subject of an unflattering male gaze. Or you have the early on in the movie, you show a scene of Patricia Arquette in Lost Highway, but then you interview her sister yeah. and she's talking about these personal stories. You know, there's like yeah. a lot of um, 
stuff like or you know you know lost in translation okay. this uh Sophia Coppola is the daughter of Francis Ford Coppola you know there's a lot of um or you showed the quick little Barbarella clip yeah. and this is the aunt of you know Bridget Fonda who's been on the other side of the lens of people like Francis Ford Coppola or Quentin Tarantino like did that stuff come Absolutely. up too or it's just like you have what I, I guess again ge- generational gaze is I don't know yeah well a, I think you're <laughs> just so extremely film literate that you would you would see those things I mean I don't I don't know that that most people would 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 notice those connections you know I mean it takes someone uh you know who's like <laughs> first of all who watches a film twice in a row and really pays attention um <laughs> which is which is awesome by the way just uh, since you brought up Claire Denis this is off topic but I you know I always thought that um that um and I, I would love to see you do a side by side on this I uh, showed The Bloody Child at Locarno in 1996, I think, or maybe it was 97. And then she made uh, Beau Trevi not long after. And I, I feel she was really influenced by The Bloody Child, if I may be so bold. Wow. Until you said that, the only things that I've ever associated with Bloody Child were there are these aerial shots over kind of this half-water desert stuff that reminded me of Andrei Rublev, the opening scene in Andrei Rublev. Oh, wow. And then I always associate Bloody Child to some degree with Gus Van Zandt because in the early 2000s, I had no way of seeing Bloody Child, but Gus Van Zandt, I found these like, like, like an old interview where he was kind of raving about it. And it was just like, Gus Van Zandt's a favorite of mine. And I was just like, well, if Gus Van Zandt likes it, I want to see it. And it and like it took me so so long to see it like like to the point where it's like I get out of college I forgot about Bloody Child and then I read an interview Nina Menkes's name comes up and it's like Nina Menkes got oh yeah Bloody Child but then I still couldn't see it and then now you, you know what I mean so like yeah. like I said this has been like a this has been like a two decade my my relationship with your work has been like two plus dec- decades so it's kind of cool to talk- talking to you again oh, like, all right really bloody cool. child well i so think now that you, you say know, that my mind is working now if you've got, if you um well you know we have the uh we have the blu-ray box set coming out but oh i was gonna definitely gonna get get to that and yeah yeah because uh, i think that's uh, but are you are you in chicago am i like dreaming thinking that no you? no I, I live in new york city i live in queens oh new york city okay did you see the Bloody Child at the New York Film Festival, by any chance? No, um, you mean like when, when it first played? No, it just played last year. The restoration. No, where? Oh my gosh! Now I'm trying to see with Queen of Diamonds, Bloody Child. Where did I see it? I want to say online somewhere. I know. Why am I drawing a blank now? Because I see so many movies, it's hard to play. Oh yeah, well it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I just yeah, right, right. right I just right. would love you to see it on the big screen because it's one of those movies that you know it it. It really needs the big screen. But, I, I, I agree. I agree. Um, but anyway, you know, I just, I, you know, when I saw Bo Travai, I was like, I think she was influenced by the Bloody Child because there's um, the the way that masculinity is treated in the Bloody Child and the and the the men dancing in the in the disco club and stuff. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's so. This is so funny because. I can't. I, 
I'm sometimes a little self-conscious about when I make comp- – you seem to be so open about comparisons. I love all every, of yours. Every, I was like, whoa, cool. It, it, it's funny. Every once in a while, though, I get a pushback from a filmmaker or, or – or so, and I have to – I'm like, no, no, no. I'm not trying to say you're copy. I'm not – this is not trying to be no. ne- negative because the cinematographer for Beach Rats, Eliza Hitman's se- second film – I made a side-by-side comparison with Bo Trevi yeah. and and Beach Rats because um, there's a lot of similar, even not just scenes, but there the idea of like male repression and sexuality and all this stuff. Like it's all between Beach Rats and Bo Trevi. And back when Eliza Hitman was on Twitter, she saw it and she liked it and she retweeted it. But then the cinematographer of Beach Rats retweeted it with the quote saying like Claire Denis doesn't own the male body. Um, and I remember being like, and I had to message her saying, hey, I, I didn't mean anything. I'm not trying to say... You were co- you're a copycat. I just was reminded, so that's why. Yeah. I'm, it's definitely it, it's definitely a sigh of relief speaking to you about this kind of stuff because no, every once in a while like you come it. across someone who who takes it the wrong way. But um, well, that's, especially because you, know, you always like pick these really great, you know, like when you like when you did the one of Vagabond and Queen of Diamonds. I was like, oh, oh my right, god, sure, how did sure, you even find sure. that moment? Because it was so <laughs> like, oh, it was it was like great, and then. Yeah, but if you, I bet if you looked at, um, you know, the disco dancing scenes in, in uh, the Bloody Child and the and the disco dancing scene, which is actually like the climax of of Beau Travail and just the masculine atmosphere of the whole film, um, and the fact that I know that she was at Locarno like and saw it a couple of years. Be- well, I don't know a hundred percent that she saw it, but her team was at Locarno. Um, the year that it showed, and then she made Beautravai like shortly thereafter. So, I felt that that she was impacted by it. So anyway, I mean, listen, she's not. If you read enough, she, you know, I mean, she was mentored by Jarmusch and, and Vim Vendors, and she said herself that like she is is influenced by them. Jacques Rivette, she's super open about Ozu, so it's not that far fetched that she would have been influenced by you if you played at the same festival. She's not someone who's that elusive when it comes to her film and inspirations she, she really isn't so the more you speak it's not like this isn't some totally left field claim that you're making but by the way just just so you know yeah no i i mean it's my personal opinion because <laughs> i've, sure, I've, sure, sure, I've sure. seen both films you know? <laughs> but uh she never mentioned it but i mean to me it was kind of obvious but you know who knows maybe she never even saw it so um but you know, keep well, go, going back to brainwash yeah. though. Talking about how you know it's it's predominantly female. I also wonder. I mean, this is such an obvious question, but I do want to kind of get it out there and, and talk about this. Do you think it would be a different film if if strictly even even a female, but just a journalist or a critic had made it versus you're an actual filmmaker? You've actually yeah. been in the trenches, and it's not to diminish. There are some great critics, great journalists, but no matter what. If you've never made a film, you've never been in the industry like you since what the seventies. It, it 80s. it's a little different. Did oh eight, well, yeah eighties yeah. Did um is that something that you know? Because this is the kind of thing when when certain critics and journalists make the transition to filmmaking, it's usually a documentary. It's usually about critical analysis. Right. I mean, this year it's kind of interesting in parallel. Elvis Mitchell's film right. debuted this year, which focuses on 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 race on the big screen. Yeah. So, and I've seen that also, and it, well, it's on Netflix, but I saw it at the New York Film Festival this year as well, and it's like, it's a great movie, but in, I go back to what I was saying earlier, where this is a documentary with a lot of spiritual aspects, and yeah. it's just, it's different, and I mean that in yeah. a good way. So yeah. is that, 
we, yeah. it was part of it. Like, oh, I should make this movie before someone else who's actually not directly in the film industry makes it. Was that even a thought? No, that wasn't a thought. I mean, it was just like I said, it was sort of this organic process whereby, um, you know, I I had given actually what you know to to be precise on the timeline is that I had given this talk to my students, right? And then in I think it was March of 2017, so it was March. It was before the Harvey Weinstein thing came out. Um, I was invited. I know this sounds like I'm not answering your question, but I'm going to circle back to it. No, this is just a talk, um, please. Just, so please, it was um, in uh, March of 2017, I was invited to the DFFB, which is the big um, film school in Berlin, the German film school, um, to show some of my work and to give a talk. And like normally when I give a talk, I just talk about my own films. That's usually what they want. And that's usually what they mean when they say give a talk. But for whatever reason, I was like, you know, I always talk about my own films. What if I give the, you know, the talk that I give to my students? What if I give that to the public? Like, let's see what happens. And 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 they loved it, you know. And And that was the first time I gave it in public. But then later when I wrote the article and then the talk exploded, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, I ended up making the film. So it wasn't uh, like I thought like, oh, I, sh I, I need to make this before someone else makes it. I mean, it just sort of happened, the whole thing. But anyway, the thing is, is what I feel like is very, very, very um, true, what you're saying and very on point is that as a filmmaker and I, as a cinematographer, because I shoot my own films, is like I'm very, very concrete, you know, shot design. It's like shot design is 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 my language, you know, shot design is how I talk to the world in my films is through shot design. And so I have a special relationship to shot design that is different than someone who is, you know, talking about movies. I, I make movies and, and I don't just make movies. I, it's my vocation, <laughs> you know? So it's like, um, it's almost like shot design is my mother tongue, you know? And so then the, uh, the way that most critics, um, you know, talk about film is more, if I may say so, more sort of there's a there's the academic side of it or there is, you know, I mean, if you look at film theory, even Laura Mulvey, who, of course, I adore, but, you know, she's into scopophilia and Freudian stuff and lack and Lacan and all this stuff. And I was like, no, none, none of that. I just can't. Let's just look at this really, in a way, simple with hugely complex repercussions, but in a way simple, you know, the language of shot design, period, removing all um, kind of complicated theoretical spins and just look at the facts. The facts are really basic and they're really, really powerful in what they are saying and in the implications. So I think that as a filmmaker, I really wanted to make a film that was saying these things that I think are important, but that, that also was a cinematic experience to watch, you know.
that's you know i speaking of like what you're saying i learned in god 13 plus years of putting it down but also in my head making film comparisons between the you sometimes it's not necessarily a good thing because you see someone who's just like this shot was inspired by this shot but then you see such a huge difference where it's just like I don't know if you took what you were supposed to take from from the shot. Yeah. Where, like, for example, you have a a shot of something, just anything, and it's just one long, I don't know, thirty second shot, and then you have a younger filmmaker who came after who says, "I was inspired by that thirty second continuous shot, but that shot has like seventeen cuts in it, and it's almost like, what did you get? I don't. I'm not gonna say. I'm not gonna. You know, if you're inspired by what you're inspired, but when you put the two things together. It's like, huh, interesting. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, as you talk, I, I, I'm just reminded specifically of Queen of Diamonds. I feel like that's such a kind of the perfect example of what you're talking about. Um, there's these like static, just straight on shots. Yeah. The camera does not move. Yeah. But I can't speak for anybody else. But my attention, I, my, my attention has never been lost. You know what I mean? Yeah. Going back to the first time I saw it and then years later revisiting it. And then it, you know, Criterion did this really cool showcase um, of it, yeah. you know, was it last year? I, I have a one-year-old son, so time is kind <laughs> of, I, 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 which I'm, I'm still amazed I was able to watch your film twice in 48 hours that, that he allowed me to do that, because he's, uh, he's learned how to run now, he's, he's 15 months, and yeah, he's very rambunctious, oh, so, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, all of, the, everything you're saying is kind of like, oh, I'm glad this is, this is where her mind is at, because, um, yeah, and to bring it back to brainwashed, yeah, this is someone who just you just you love film. Yeah, and 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 and, and to people listening, sometimes it's like, well, obviously she makes movies, but it, that that's really not always the case. No, I mean, to some degree, going back to what you said, how certain people in film school were just like, how do I get the script and and get it and get a deal? Right. Or you speak to certain filmmakers, and I'll repeat myself that you look, you're inspired by what you're inspired, but sometimes people, it's the most kind of on the surface you know i'm using air quotes inspirations right. so it's nice when people dig and and you know are, are influenced by so much even even outside of film that they bring into film too like i i know that you do that as well which is you know another one of many reasons why i like why i love i love your work so um thank you yeah so yeah anyway long, long story short i i without <laughs> for me without a critic making this film like I, I could see the difference this is something yeah. that comes from a filmmaker yeah thank you um, very much for that yeah yeah i i wish i i, I hope other folks mind kind of works the way yours and mine does uh you kind of alluded to maybe not everyone would but it's kind of like i don't know it, it's the first thing that i thought of when it was just like oh Patricia Arquette. Oh, there's her sister. It's like, right. oh, Andy McDowell's daughter. See, she's second generation. Oh, Eliza Hittman. Oh, you used a clip from a movie in a Scorsese film that she was, that she used in one of her films. Right. So there's just a lot of like, so many di di different threads and, and, and connectivity um, in stuff. Yeah. I awesome. Lost Highway specifically. Oh that's, oh, that's what I wanted to bring up. I don't know. Have you ever seen Pretty as a Picture, The Art of David Lynch? No. Oh, I, well, it ties so much into Brainwash oh, wow. because there's, well, because there's a, there's a segment in the film where Patricia Arquette talks about how there were scenes that she did not want to film. Oh. Um, and she was just saying like, you know, d you know, David was great. He made the crew go away and we had a really stripped down. It was just me, him, the cinematographer and Robert Loja. 
and that's nice, but it's still interesting that like no matter how much you make someone feel comfortable, you still didn't want to shoot the scene. And there's yeah. a lot of, I mean, I, I don't mean to be so crass, but like Lost Highway, it's a film. It's one of those movies where like, oh, when it came out, I was in high school. I loved it. And over the years, you read more about David Lynch, who was a favorite of mine. But when you read outside opinions, it's kind of like, oh, maybe there are some, maybe there are some things to, there, there are some holes here, some things to poke at. Right. Well, like, and and I thought, yeah, go ahead, please, please. Well, I mean, I'm in 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 certain ways a fan of Lynch because he works sort of, you know, he sort of lets his unconscious create his imagery, and I do that too. And not that many filmmakers do that, and and that that's what gives a lot of his films their power, but. That said, he, his films do not have any political uh, analysis in them, and he just allows his misogyny to run rampant without without any thought, you know, because it's like, well, I felt it, I saw it, so so I'm so I'm doing it, and and uh, you know, I mean, there's actually I think kind of a fine line between you know this kind. Of, this sort of like, well, I mean, we talk about this in Brainwash, you know, it's like, it's my vision. So, you know, I'm going to do my vision. And, you know, if it's completely misogynistic and sexist, that's too bad because that's my vision. It's like, well, okay, you know, um, I, I am not in favor of limiting anybody's creative freedom, but, you know, it's just been a little bit one sided, which, you know, which is, which is, it's interesting, you know, because um, I haven't seen Elvis Mitchell's film yet. I, I, I really want to see it. It's, um, uh, you know, the way that race has come under, um, under fire in a way really more than um, misogynistic, uh, you know, objectifying images of women have in film, I feel. What do you think? That's, t- yeah. I think because man, there's my, my I mean, mind I'm not is supposed to like now. make a competition out of it. No, no, but it, but it, but it, but I mean, to some degree, I said earlier, it's like you know, sometimes the things cross yeah. over, and you're kind of faced with talking about both of them at the same yeah. time. I, I think, man, I'm not even sure where 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 to start, but I mean this in 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 a good way. I think it's it's. I think representation is what I think of first. I don't know if it's like just race, just gender, just uh, disability. But I'm wondering if, I don't know where it could be. There's more of a presence of less female filmmakers. I mean, even still, like that the, the one statistic that you talk about how there's now less you know, what is the top 200 films, how it went down yeah. 1%, 1%. You would think just how things are, it's like, oh, maybe it, it, it went up. Even if it was forced, you know, it went up. But it was like, oh, no, it went down. Wow, I, I would have never, never thought thought that. Um, but I'm, I'm not I'm not dodging your question. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. I'm on the spot. I don't even no, know. No, I don't. I don't know. Begin. No, I just think that there's there's a bit more awareness. Like, you know, of course, there was mu- much more intense discrimination um, against non-white people for decades and decades and decades, right? But I, I think that the, um, the resistance to the fact 
brainwashed. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, you know, some people have really embraced it, but, you know, we've also been attacked. It's like, whoa, why are, why are you attacking? Um, the, the, the general, I'm not trying to, in no way am I making this about myself. I'm just trying to relate it to, so, <laughs> for example, so if someone is negative towards this film, yeah. And there's no, I, I, it's one of those things. I have to be honest. I don't like this movie. Isn't even a hit piece. It's it's one of no. like even 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 the scenes that you show that you're critical of, you still show you present them in great quality. Yeah. Like they're great shots. Yeah. They're well, some some of them. Yeah, are, yeah. Or some are great shots. So it's not like oh look at this crap. No. It's just you're just showing. So it's one of these things where like you're critical of something, but you're presenting it with the utmost respect. And, yeah. you know, to some degree, I relate this to being African-American and there's a, you know, a barrage of like, po- you know, like black films out now that are in the spotlight. Yeah. And I find myself not trying to do the Armin White thing, but some of these movies, I respectfully just, I've now said that, well, you know what, this isn't for me. And it's not like, oh, this movie's terrible. I just think there's sometimes a lot of black films can be so one note. Yeah. That it's like everything associated with black people, black Americans specifically, doesn't always have to be rooted in struggle or oppression or racism. Sometimes, it, and and I and I catch myself almost rolling my eyes because it's like, well, this is our history. I mean, look, I'm the son of my mother still remembers Jim, remembered Jim Crow. Wow. Like that's how long. Like so, when people say, oh, racism so long ago, it's like my mother passed away only three years ago before she was seventy, and this is a person who still remembers like racism in the deep south yeah. like the way you see it in documentaries so it wasn't that long right. ago and i go to these i go to toronto i go to new york film festival and i see films from all over the world and it's so many different stories but then when it gets to i don't mean to be so crass like oh, okay it's time for the black film it's you know a story of like overcoming the kkk or something like mm-hmm. that and it's and it's one of those things well maybe this is just not for me because I grew up with two parents who, ta- who taught me history. Maybe there are people who just don't know and maybe this movie is for them. But I just don't like saying so often, eh, this movie's not not for me. So I wonder if when there's a female critic who is harsh on this movie, I wonder if she's like, oh, I'm sick of this, you know, mm, I, and maybe surface. I but but there's so much more to this movie yeah. than that. I'm just throwing feel, it out there. But I please, feel, please. I mean, if, you know, I think that um, the film experience exposes um, the pain and the hurt that I think, you know, most women have lived with our whole lives, especially those of us who love movies have lived with our whole lives or, you know, who are deeply involved in movies. But, But not, you know, not only, I mean, one of the great things about this film is that we've had, you know, an 83-year-old lawyer who cried and said, said the film spoke to her as much as, a, you know, a 19-year-old girl who's been, you know, on Instagram her whole life, you know. Um, so it's like there's, there are very few women who have not experienced the you know the negative side uh, of this whole construction of women being pushed into the object position and the pain of that and the repercussions of that very deep into our personal lives um into our most personal lives 
You know, it's not just uh, employment discrimination sucks, let's get things better. It's, I mean, that's really important too, but it's really on the deepest level, the way you experience yourself, your own body, your own sexuality, all of these things. <clears throat> and I think that there's certain people who don't want to feel that pain and don't want to be confronted with the pain. And so instead of having, you know, the kind of awareness to deal with it, they just say, you know, fuck you and your film, <laughs> like go away. This is trash. You know, um, you know, it's like, no, it's not trash. I'm sorry. It's real. It's true. And you better take a look at it right now, you know, and, and it's, it's just like a projection, like those bad feelings that I don't want to feel, I'm just going to like make it's all your fault. You shouldn't have made this film, you know? So, um, I think that it's, it's, uh, something that especially people who are invested in some of the films that are shown, <laughs> you know, like, like, a, like a friend of mine, um, told me actually Rena Ahrens, she's, uh, she's in the film, Rhiannon Ahrens, you know, she said that one of her, one of her friends said, you know, I love the film. It's great, but you've ruined all my favorite films, you know? And then Rhiannon said, um, she said, well, you know, we didn't let the cockroaches into the kitchen. We just turned on the lights. But I think it's, it's one of these like kill the messenger things. It's like, just kill the message. Like, don't, I don't show me this. I don't want to face this. I don't want to think about this. I don't, I want you to be wrong. I want you to just go away with this film. That's just making things too impossible for me to deal with, you know? Um, and, and it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. Cause I mean, there, there, there are two complaints that, um, the critics who dislike the film tend to have two basic um, complaints. Their first complaint is they say, well, you left out context. It's like, uh, did you watch the movie? That's the whole point of the movie. We're not looking at context. We're looking at this meta message that underlies the huge amount of variation in context, you know, De decade after decade, you know, drama, um, comedy, horror, you know, sarcastic, not sarcastic, you know, on purpose, not on purpose. All, all of these different contexts, but you still have this meta language that's underlying it and that's impacting us. Okay, so that that complaint um, of, oh, she didn't look at context, because it's like, well, through context, you're gonna try to justify this, this system of shot design, okay? So that's the, first, that's the first critique that's really, frankly, absurd. And then the second critique is like, you know, Nina only uses herself to, to show what alternatives are. It's like, really? Did you watch the fucking film? I mean, I have about 30 examples of people who do things differently. And I, yes, I'm one of them because I'm a filmmaker and this is my personal journey. And I am really, really glad that I'm in the film with my films, a few of them, along with 25 others, you know? But, but, but the, the people who tend to attack the film will invariably say, you know, oh, she didn't look at context and she's just, you know, putting all herself as the, 
you know, as the uh, as the answer, you know, which is just like kind of like what? That's interesting. <laughs> I, I wonder, and, and I, I pose this I, I pose this question. Feel free to answer, yes. respond, however you want to respond. But with uh, I'll bring it to gender, you know, and I'll use these are all well. Generally speaking, do, uh, filmmakers that I love who've made uh, documentaries, I've never heard. No, I'm not saying it's not out there, but it's not prominent. I've never heard this critique of, say, Errol Morris. Exactly. Who, yeah, sure, he's not. You don't ever see Errol Morris's face. However, when you watch Errol Morris' movie, his voice is all. He interrupts people. He interjects, and that's fine. Like, like, please, any anyone listening, it's not a criticism. There's one of the reasons I love Errol Morris, especially uh, American Dharma, when he, you know, people criticized him for not bringing Steve Bannon to task. Which one? What do you want him to do? He's not like a politician. But then he also did. There, there are plenty of times where he interjected himself, cut Steve Bannon off, and said, "You don't really believe that, do you?" You know what I mean? Or a guy like um, his documentaries are kind of overshadowed by his you know, stuff like King of New York, but Abel Ferrara has made a handful of documentary films, and he's in them, nonstop, he, he cuts in front of the camera, he walks by, he cuts off his subjects, you know what I mean, and then of course, the, the, the biggest example is Michael Moore, I mean, come on, that's kind of, you know, and it's not any critique to him, but Michael Moore is always someone who, just what you say, it's like, you want to be in this film with your films, you're a filmmaker, this is kind of a part yeah. of you, I don't see any difference. In my, my, Michael Moore is on camera twenty four seven, even when he's never the subject of and anything. Just, you know, and so, just imagine, yeah. and it's like you know, I'm actually in there with my films quite judiciously, you know. And there's plenty of other people um, that I point to as as uh, you know doing things differently. But just imagine, you know, a, a filmmaker um, making a film about you know, like let's say. David Lynch had made a film about filmmaking and he had a few short clips of his own films in there, you know, along with 25 other examples. Would anyone say, how dare him, hit David Lynch, include his own films? You know, so that's just unadulterated, um, internalized misogyny on the part of these, you know, people. It's, it's just like, how dare she, you know, have the nerve to present her own films, you know, it's, it's, it, I mean, this sexism shit, it just, it runs so deep and so, so, so deep and so ugly that, um, you know, I really hope, you know, there, there have been a few whispers of we might get nominated um, for best documentary. And I, I don't know that that can happen, um, but, you know, it would be great if it, if it did, because, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really, it's really, really, really deep, this stuff. And, and it's, um, it's, it's amazing how deep it is in 2022. I mean, you, you, you know, I, I mean, I really didn't think anyone would attack the film. I just, I thought everyone would, would be sort of, um, you know. Eh, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. We're, we're in a, we're in an age not with, I mean, with blogs and letterbox and twitter and instagram everyone is kind of a critic now so everyone there's always when something is universally loved there's always going to be someone to like well i didn't you know i i think that i think that has been brought to the surface now more than ever because everybody has a voice everybody's the main character of the (laughs) world because of social media because i mean even youtube now has become social media you could just film yourself put youtube tiktok everything so It's unfortunate, 
but it's also, you know, it doesn't surprise me. I also, you know, it, it I, I guess, you know, as you talk, I think it would be nice to hear more stories of someone who not just tore it apart, but at least challenged it. I mean, this is a movie that's not, like, so cut and dry. Like, it's weird to say brainwashed. Oh, I enjoyed this. Right, it's right, not right. so much no. about, like, I enjoyed no. it. I th- it's more like, oh, I think this movie's great, right. if anything, or it's, like, it's challenging. Right. Like, go, go and, I, I'd like to bring, oh, also, side note, how much time do you have? I, I don't want to oh, I'm okay. keep you. I, I want to no, respect no, your we're, time. We're, um, we're fine. Okay. Because, like I said, we do, I, I would like to have you back on my podcast, because uh, my, my partner has a lot of, a lot more stuff to, but, I mean, we, we can wrap up shortly, because okay. there's other stuff in, in the future. But, going back to the context thing, and this ties into gender, race, yeah. whatever. With co- with comedy now, there's a lot of that too. Where someone will make a joke, it could be about race, or it could be about gender. Like I like I sometimes I watch my wife's reaction, or she'll watch my reaction to a joke. My wife is white, I'm black, so there's that dynamic. It's not our personality. We're not one of those interracial couples that makes it our personality. But sometimes things come yeah. up. You know what I mean? And. And sometimes I, I, I get upset when people use, oh, well, what about context as an excuse? Because sometimes people will make a joke with the N-word or something that's just, like, super racist. And then it's like, what? It's just a joke. You're No, the, the context. It's like, yeah, but you're still, I feel like you're just trying to find a way to say that you're a white comedian. You're just trying to find a way to say the N-word versus trying to, like, make some challenging joke. Right. Or, like, with a comedian, you're just trying to still find a way to objectify women or make a messed up sexualized joke. And then you say, but what about context? Exactly. I think that, like, that, that's always been, and, and, and one thing, I know that I can, I can die uh, vindicated in that back in the day when Vice was just, like, a fanzine out of Canada, a lot of the jokes that they were making, I was like, yeah, they're being ironic, but this is actually just straight up racist. Yeah. This is straight up sexist. This isn't right. funny. And then now look who started the Proud Boys, right. Gavin McGinnis, who started Vice. So it's one of those things like, see, see what exactly. happens when you let this go. This is what happens. And and every time it comes up with certain people, I'm like, I was right back in high school, when or or college when Vice was this kind of underground thing. And now, yes, true, Gavin McGinnis has left Vice a long time ago, but. <laughs> The roots are still there, so it, it's interesting. When you, I, I think sometimes when people don't want to be challenged, yep. they bring up context yep. to kind of get out of the deeper conversation. Exactly. It's like, well, hold on, you exactly. know. So, and it's a, you know, it's a, it's. I mean, in the in the in the case of brainwashed, you know, it's 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 you know, <laughs> with all due respect, kind of stupid to bring up context because we make a very strong and very clear point that we are looking at the meta language that underlies context and that's the whole point of the movie so you know if you say well you didn't look at context it's like yes that's exactly right we're 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 not looking at context i mean i'm not saying that context doesn't have an impact on the meaning of a scene but i'm saying let's just look at this other thing let's look at this language of shot design and how consistent it is regardless of context so it's it, you know it's just I, that's why I think that the people who've attacked the film are just on having an emotional reaction to the pain that's exposed by this film that is just like I don't want to feel that pain I don't want to go there so I'll just make you wrong. Well, for what it's worth, <laughs> I think stuff like that makes this movie a, a success, yeah. if that's even the right word to yeah, use. Yeah, it is. Um, it yeah. just. You know, Nina, thank you so much. Thank this you. this is great. I love um, talking to you. Again, 
I loved talking to you too. I, I I'm blushing a little bit from some of the um, compliments that you've given me because it's kind of uh, you know, I, I I appreciate that very much. And I'm, no, I, I I'm waiting for your side by side Bo Trevi bloody child. <laughs> I already jotted it down. As, as as you can imagine, how my brain works. I'm I'm the notes in my phone. There's years of like scenes that I want to compare so I've just now added it to, to, to the notes on my phone so thank cool. you thank you for, right. uh, I'll make sure to make it